is the existence of a toxic, destructive leader a failure of leadership in the organisation? Or is it that some organisations get blindsided by someone who's potentially a toxic leader and you're only going to find that out once you see evidence of that in your staff or your work culture going south. So things like increased turnover, increased absenteeism, like does it take time? And I guess essentially what I'm asking is this particular topic area really a failure of of leadership? That is a really good question. I think there's still debate about it, Eric. I think looking at the solutions that I have suggested, which seems to fall in place with practice that lets you resolve it once it's arrived. There are people who are just really good at their job, right? And you want them in your organisation. They have that skill, but they're lacking that interpersonal stuff. And when you're their manager, you want to put that to one side because you want that technical stuff, right? So you allow the interpersonal stuff there because you're not really sure how bad it is. So is it a failure of leadership? I think it is because whilst you mightn't have identified it when they start, you've allowed it to continue by not actually having the mechanisms in place to find out how they are behaving. So when we start trying to identify toxic leaders in their workplace, one of their characteristics is they're very good technically, but they will actually be putting an approach to their managers, which is to show that they have the moral virtue of the organisation, that they're the ones who are right. They're protecting the organisation from people who won't be quite as successful as them. They try to present themselves as uber competent. So if you're their boss, that's sort of what you want to hear, right? So the subordinates below the toxic leader all get to see the the toxic behaviour. They're awfully frustrated at the person above the toxic leader because they can't believe that, that the leadership people above them do not see how destructive they are. But the toxic leader, part of their skill is survival. And the way to survive is to look good to your managers, to look super competent. Really what it comes down to into the, Eric, into the end, Eric, is that the organisation hasn't set up enough checks and balances to ask the subordinates, how's your psychological safety? They haven't set up mechanisms where people feel that they can actually talk to them about it. One of the riskiest things you can do when you are being targeted by toxic behaviour is go to HR and to go and have those discussions because with the best will in the world, you've put your head above the waterline and it's likely to be snapped off. I think in larger organisations, HR is not necessarily a function to protect staff. It's to protect the organisation. And I can understand why someone would be hesitant to go to HR I have some really close friends who work in human relations and they work with real honest intent to be able to get a great environment. The problem is for HR is they are serving the organisation. The organisation exists for a reason. It has policies and processes. And if you have a toxic leader who's doing everything to appear super competent, protective of the organisation, feeling threatened by others, they will try to use internal processes to get an outcome, to remove a person who they perceive to be a threat. So I think in human resources terms and human relation terms, your hands are really tied because you might understand the situation and perceive it, but you are told that you have to follow this line. And I think that is probably what happens in HR terms quite a bit. At the end of the day, they have to follow a company line in terms of outcome. And if there isn't the structure in place to pick these things up, their hands are tied again. 
because they won't necessarily have hard data or hard information to sit down with their leaders to say there's a problem. So I think those things are really difficult. I'm glad, Eric, we've been able to cover some of the areas of impact from minimal through to self-harm because they're very real. And I think that concentrates the mind. You know, the financial thing is a big one, but that moral aspect of having subordinates in your organisation who, by dint of a a destructive leader, are being pushed to the point of self-harm, that's not a great place to be as a leader. And I would hope as a leader you have the courage to say, isn't there a better or a different way to this? When you talked about that toxic triangle, I think that's the word that you use, that context matters. And I've learned that in a very real way in the previous podcast series that Ben and I were working on, which is on the military, that all of our work environments have a context in which they're in. And and sometimes these things could flourish if there's not systems in place to pick that up, which nicely segues into the next question. Ben, I might take this one off you and and give you the the final one. How do you identify a toxic leader? But let, let me nuance that a little bit, if I can, Gillian, because you, you sure. made me think, and this is not a bad thing, so you've got to get the grey matter moving on some of this, not just identifying toxic leaders, but toxic employees. I think the one maybe meshes with the other, and you talked about that in that toxic triangle. So what are the things that should be identifiers for people in terms of a toxic leader and a toxic employee, if that's the right term? Uh, they're really good questions, Eric, because for any of us, all of us here have been in a toxic environment. And I'm guessing there'll be people listening who are experiencing or have experienced it. And you just wish people had signs on their foreheads saying, I'm toxic, right? It would be so much easier if people would identify as that, but it's not. And so you're, you're, you've got your own emotions roiling around whilst you're just trying to figure out what is happening. And so on reflection, when I've gone back, done the research, thought it out and reflected on what I've been through, there are things that you can be looking for, which when you piece them together will make sense. And once you see them, it all becomes sensible to you and you can start seeing the behaviour for what it is and then just try to hold yourself a bit separate from it, I think. A common outcome of toxic behaviour is for staff to self-protect, right, with silence. So they're not going to tell you by their words but what you will see is by behaviour. So toxic environments are really fear. It's fear being played out. It's that primitive limbic part of our brain, which is all about survival. And once we're in fear and survival mode, our behaviours become either fight or flight. And fight generally means defensive behaviours. So when you, if you are in an environment where you're seeing a lot of defensive behaviour from your colleagues, in various ways, shape and form, they're fearful. They're in an environment where they do not feel psychologically safe. And that's giving you some evidence that this is not a safe environment, that this is not a constructive environment and that there's something wrong here. So in general terms, you'll be seeing that in your colleagues around you. You'll see a heap of gossip, particularly negative gossip. You'll see that making up stuff. It's, the, it's that colluders thing that I was talking about earlier. The stories that are made up. Oh, did you hear this about that? And did you hear that? There's a lot of that that goes on. It's a very defensive behaviour and you'll be seeing that in an environment as people just try to find ways to survive. You'll see middle ma- managers being cut off at their knees. It's a really big aspect of working in an environment with toxic leaders. The managers below them are just being cut off in a really unpleasant way. There's a very 
uneasy, unsafe energy around you where individuals are going to operate for themselves and for themselves rather than the benefit of the organisation. It, it becomes all about them and what they're going to do and what outcome they want to get. Um, you'll often start to see in your colleagues, teams or individuals will start to isolate as a way of self-protection if people start moving to different areas and not wanting to collaborate with each other. If your email traffic goes from here to the next level up, it means people are not wanting to engage with each other verbally. They're actually just trying to do it defensively through their written word. Fear and those defensive behaviours are normal. Those attitudes are normal. So it's a very unsafe, unclear environment. And so in that environment, you will see toxic employees. You will see the people who gossip. You will see the backbiting because it's all being allowed. The other thing that's hard is the abrasive leaders will target individuals. So in that general environment, you're going to watch them as they actually target people, not just middle managers, it's whoever's their next target. So you'll see intimidation. You'll see very autocratic, you know, fear-driven top-down behaviours, you will see them playing favourites. And the playing favourites thing is really ugly, but you'll see it a lot. They love the favourite because the favourite's going to collude with them. You'll see micromanagement. I'll be frank, to me, micromanagement was a couple of words in a dictionary until I experienced it. And once I experienced it from a toxic manager, it all it was like, wow, they don't want anything else but to manage everything. Mm. It's actually quite, it's quite challenging to work around. You'll see behaviours where the toxic leader will undermine, they'll misrepresent, they'll lie. And in a lot of cases, you'll see abusive policies without sanction to them, but discipline to staff for a lot lesser infractions. So when you look at it from those two perspectives, directly targeted or just sitting in that general environment, there's nothing that's really good. Like There's a lot of rivalry. There's a lot of defensive behaviour. And what I really think is your gut is telling you something's not right. I think you need to just be really quiet, say nothing to anyone, hold your own integrity and start taking notes and looking at those behaviours. When you start seeing all of those defensive behaviours, you'll realise that fear is at play and this is not a good environment. When does incompetence become toxic? Uh, because it almost feels elusive, doesn't it, when you're trying to observe it? It's very hard to figure out what is happening. I think it's becoming toxic if a team isn't managed and has realistic strategies and expectations that its leadership is giving them. It is so easy for them to fall into, well, I'll just make it up what seems to be right. So you're not, it's not necessarily working for the organisation. It's just working to survive in that little piece of the organisation they're in. And to me, that's quite destructive, right? And without that direction, individuals in that team that starts self-leading are going to make it up. They will make up what is the right value for each and every one of them rather than having values of the, the organisation that they share. Once you're in that environment, it becomes rivals, defensive behaviour, he said, she said. And that's where toxic leadership can certainly come into place. It would be concerning in an organisation where you have a team which doesn't have the strategies to really form the direction because they will fall into that. They will become defensive and it will be a, a really not a great place to work, I would think. Now, Gillian, I'm going to go a bit rogue here. I'm interested to ask a follow-on question to your last piece, which is... Do you think that these toxic leaders 
are invariably hiding or covering or compensating for some vulnerability. One of the concepts I'll probably introduce now is um, the concept of narcissism, something that I've studied considerably in the last few years and seeing the way, and I believe having spoken to a, a colleague who, who's actually a clinical psychologist, she says that narcissists operate in a triangle as well. Yeah. The three points of that triangle are villain, victim, hero. Correct. The concept there is that they tend to move between the three corners of that triangle, but then equally pull others towards that. Yeah. Um, in order to uh, address their two greatest fears, and one of them is to be shamed. So that anyway, that's my understanding. I'd be he- keen to hear your thoughts on that that vulnerability piece that they hide. I we're completely aligned, Ben. I think it, it matches perfectly. One of the skills I've been able to pick up is around coaching abrasive leaders, and you can coach them once you understand they're very vulnerable and they're ashamed and they're in fear as well. And so what I, I, I guess, I hope I'm trying to express that everyone in the toxic environment, the leader, the subordinate, wherever you are in it, you are being impacted by shame and by fear, right? It's just how it's being expressed. And so the thing for, you might be incredibly competent at what you do, but your interpersonal skills are poor, but you'll see your subordinates as not matching up or not meeting your skills or shouldn't have instruction. That comes out in your behavior, but it's really your self-esteem, right? It, it, it's really your internal fears about what will happen, right? And that's why I look at it this way. There's a spectrum of Luke, you know, Luke Skywalker's on one end and Darth Vader's on the other end. No one's one or the other, right? We're all in between it somewhere. And some days we can be more Darth Vader and others more Luke Skywalker. And they're related. And they're related. But um, when you look at it, we're all on a spectrum. We're all humans. We all have a survival instinct. Narcissism is a very specific traits, and I completely agree with what you're talking about. So a narcissist and toxic behaviour, it's really hard to function with because it's it's just so it's so complete, <laughs> complete a problem and very hard to get past. Once you start identifying the reasons behind it, you can deal with it. But I'm a big believer that everyone is suffering, right? I'm a big believer that the leader themselves probably needs help for their behaviour. So do the people who are being impacted by it and that you can resolve it all with leadership. But everyone needs help, right? If we are allowing a toxic leader we to to keep on going and to not get help we're perpetuating an environment where they don't feel good either so we can keep perpetuating it by not changing if we change we can make it easier for everyone who's part of it Gillian back on script but great great answer again we've gone through a lot here definitions the impacts financially physically mentally so for those of our listeners out there that are keen to go okay now I know all that that's great how do I deal with it? So tell us, Gillian, in your words, what are the strategies that our listeners can follow to manage and exist within an environment of toxic leadership? So one of the hardest questions, isn't it, Ben? Like, and, yeah. you know, you've, it's really, this is one of the toughest things. I will be frank with you, one of the most difficult times in my working life was when faced with this. 
the, it felt impossible to resolve it. And the impact on my life was so all-encompassing and I wasn't alone. So as an individual, when you're dealing with it, trying to make good decisions is really hard. I'll go through a few suggestions that people can use and with the idea that you can you can try to self-manage as much as possible. Perhaps after that, I might look at what leaders can do, Ben. But at this point in time, I want to look at what an individual can do when they're dealing with it to just make good decisions for their life. And each of us are living such a specific life, we need to be able to make the right decisions that are for us as well. So what you are going to try to do is you want to identify and address the problem, but you want to keep the drama and the emotion to a minimum, right? You want to be able to try to walk that line because you're already dealing with such emotion that you don't feel great. And any more emotion which just hinders your ability to make good decisions. So that's what you're aiming to achieve. It's not easy to do, but one of the strongest recommendations that I've made, and I can say this from lived experience of not doing it well, try not to collude with the toxic environment. Try to identify, but try not to collude with it. Just breathe and stand back from it to give yourself a bit of pause. So that's probably an overall or an overarching perspective that I want to give you. You want to be clear on your own values at work and display them. Be true to your values, not the toxic ones. So be mindful of who you are. And if you need to write that on a piece of paper, put it on the back of your hand, take it to work, have it on a sticky note on your computer screen, whatever it is, try to be true to who you are so that you can always come back to one solid starting place, which is who you are show those values and show it to everyone else, regardless of what is happening to you. Then that allows you to identify how the environment you're in is pushing your buttons, right? Because they will push your buttons, particularly when you see the defensive behavior and have methods in place so that you can stay calm and not feel consumed by emotion. There are things, if you have rings, you can move a ring on your finger, like three turns of a ring whilst you breathe. Could be holding your hands and moving one finger at a time until you can breathe. But just give yourself those moments to pause when you're seeing the behavior to stop that reaction so that you can just step back a bit and see the behavior for what it is. Try to be open, honest, and transparent and act with integrity. Everyone will know who you are by your values and by your behavior. If you are known for being open and honest and having integrity in an environment where others are gossiping and being negative, everyone will know what you stand for. It's really hard to be taken down by negativity if people are clear on who you are and what you are all about. Don't gossip. Don't collude. And this is really hard because when you are feeling lousy, the easiest thing to do is to try to recruit a friend. When you're at work, you just want to recruit a friend. You want anything to feel good. Just don't. Stay stay out of it and be known for staying out of it because all you're going to do is collude and look like a buddy and look like you're becoming a rival and it doesn't feel good and you won't feel proud of yourself. You'll feel quite ashamed. It makes you feel a bit worse. If you've got a toxic leader, these things are really hard to do. I've tried them. They're not easy, but I'm going to suggest them anyway. Ask your leader how they want to be communicated with and just try to achieve it and try to work to that structure. They're saying to you, I want this. Okay, we've agreed that that's what we're going to do. That's what I will do. However, document, document, document. I think any instruction that you'll see in in these environments are about that. And the document documentation feels a little aggressive. 
But when you document, it's also helping you understand what you're seeing. You're getting to process it, think about it, and get a clearer picture. So the documentation isn't just a defensive thing. It's actually to help you think and process. And then from there, start to form some strategies. In all honesty, minimise the contact with your toxic leader. If you need to sit in a way or limit those interactions, do. Don't make it negative or obvious, but just have your boundaries up. Make it professional, but you don't have to be their best mate. You don't have to be any of those things, but you just be professional and keep enough boundaries that you can feel comfortable and be yourself within inside inside all of those interactions something to do it might sound a bit counterintuitive but I think it's true recognize that you're learning how not to do leadership you're getting a really good lesson at what not to do when you are either in a leadership position yourself or get promoted in one you can choose different and better styles as a result of what you're doing and if your leader does something that you're not uncomfortable follow up with an email you know we discussed this but this is what I've got and get it. So it, it just forms part of that documentation process. I'm going to be blunt though. If it's getting difficult and you need to get to some sort of resolution process, the challenges that we've all got is that any resolution processes from the Fair Work Commission to the Human Rights Commission to work cover claims, anything, all of those are downstream of the problem. So you're already hurt, right? You're impacted. It's already had a negative impact. The problems are downstream and they, they end up perpetuating that negativity and you feeling lousy. So having sat back and reflected, be honest about who you are, taken a lot of notes, looked at those defensive behaviours and tried to figure them out, you then need to have a really good think about, is this the right environment for me or not? If you can't change people, change the people you're with. Yep. Yeah. And as frustrating as it is, Ben, right? So one of my biggest challenges when, when I made the choice to leave a very toxic environment, one of my barriers to that was, why do I get to lose my job? I'm actually an industry expert. Why do I get to lose that? And that was a really difficult, you know, bottom of the stomach thing that rolled around in me was my anger about that. But what I didn't understand at the time I was feeling like that was a change can bring a perspective that you don't understand at this point in time. Be open to it. As hard as it is, if you go about the change for the right reasons, you give yourself the opportunity for making good decisions and getting the right reasons for you. I don't like saying to anyone that you need to think about changing your employer. My my heart, my leadership heart says, no, no, the organisation should change, right? It's not you who should have to make the change. But there's a real world out there. And if the organisation isn't going to change or isn't going to change in a timeframe which looks after your health, what do you choose? Your health or the organisation's health? And I think that we would, most of us, land, I hope, on the side of our own health. Yeah, Gillian, thank you for that. I think a takeaway for me on for this particular podcast is this has been a good foundational one to take forward for people and to you know be advising people to listen to this podcast because there, there is a, a chance I don't know how naive I'm being that not every workplace has a toxic leader but there'll be element of a toxic leadership space that need to be dealt with and I think good leadership or people in positions of leadership that um, are fed income about what they do are looking for those things and trying to repair and change 
change a culture to be adaptive in that sense. The best leaders that I've ever dealt with uh, often say to me, you, you, not only are you looking to make the lives of those around you and you're working with better and trying to do for others, not just yourself, is often looking for the person that needs a little bit of help. And that, that takes a lot of introspection. And, and I think it, I still have some questions in my mind around how can some people that claim that their leaders not see this happening in their workplaces are here to do to try and make the situation right if they identify that part of what they're leading the organization they're leading sorry is has a toxic element to it it's a really good question and i love this sort of question because we've talked a lot about what it's like to be in a toxic environment but when you flip it it just there's this opportunity right and as leaders that's exciting to know that there's an opportunity to do it differently and Part of the reason I'm in this space is not just to help those impacted, it's to work with leaders to say, there is this opportunity. So to me, it's about courageous leadership. And I love courageous leadership. I'm really up for it. And courage is saying, let's do something a bit different. I love um, a saying by Dr. Brene Brown. I, I am certified dare to lead I am such a fan of her work and what she brings to us on solid research, solid personal information and stuff that she's all applied. Being a great leader is not about having all the good answers. It's actually about knowing how to ask great questions. That's a courageous leader. And if you open yourself to answer those questions, there's a heap of things that you can do to set up an organisation. In fact, whilst the research is new, it's probably only in about the last decade that it started to really gather speed and come into it. Wow, when you follow that research and the leadership programs that are available, you have such an opportunity as a leader to make a difference that you can really apply in your organisation. I think that's exciting. There's a couple of things that you can do. And based on our current knowledge, I'll give you a bit of a framework that any leader in an organisation could use. And there's a few things. Establish a psychological safety survey, not a culture survey or engagement survey. They don't measure... They don't measure psychological safety, but fundamentally the safest your organisation will be, the best you'll get your culture is when you do psychological safety. Look at the work of Dr. Amy Edmondson. Her book on fearless organisations is a leader in its field, the survey, which is a seven-point survey that she has in there that's considered the, you know, the gold standard. And if you start surveying all of your subordinates with psychological surveys, you give yourself information. They will trust what you're being asked and they will answer it. And that starts giving you information to be informed, which with you can use. Just remember that on culture surveys, and I've experienced this, my lived experience is people will lie because they know that KPIs and year-end bonuses are linked to culture surveys. Why would you answer in the negative if you know it's going to impact your bonus at the end of the year? So as a leader, be courageous to safety surveys, those psychological safety. Go and collaborate with your leaders and your organisation in general, right down to toolbox tool and say, what actually is acceptable behaviour and what does it look like? Not just the value statement that you have in your strategy that nearly every organisation has, but one that you can live and talk about it with your staff because believe me, they know your customers, whatever your customer or consumer is, they know. But if you collaborate with them in a way that's safe, agree them, publish them, live by them, 
and provide them to new hires. So when you are recruiting people, they go, oh, right, I get what you're actually about and what behaviours you want. That might not be for me or that might be for me. But just if you ingrain those things, that is extremely, extremely powerful. Create methods for having safe and constructive business discussions. This is the power of Brene Brown's work. She calls them rumbles. So it's the ability for us in teams to be able to say, I don't actually agree with you. My idea is different, but how do we talk about it constructively? So formally have this process and teach it to everybody so we can all go use it. We don't have to wait for the leader in the room. We can actually use these things together. Congratulations, we've just had collaborative discussions without fear of repercussions or toxic behaviour. Yes, I know I'm biased, but um, have a specialist coach for the leaders who are considered abrasive. It works. And what happens for you as a leader is you retain you know, that pearl of stuff, which is really gold, their technical ability. But if you can transform someone's behaviour, you've turned them around and you've turned that part of the organisation around by making other people feel safe. It is a specialist skill. It's not an easy skill, but I really suggest find anyone who can do it for you, but it will can make a difference and it becomes a win-win for the organisation rather than the win-lose that you're currently in. Have reporting mechanisms for those who are feeling unsafe. I said earlier that going to HR is like putting your head above ground to get smacked, right? I'm still entitled as an employee to feel safe. And if I'm not, how do I report it? There are external organisations you can use very readily who you can set up with external reports that you can collect it and then work out how you get it back into the organisation. That takes out all the filters, the silos and all the rest of it. And it means um, me, I know that I needed this. I'm sure you guys have understood this experience and said, we need it. We, we're actually entitled to be able to report it and feel safe when we do and not that we're about to be threatened because we do. So create a mechanism says that you're serious, right? And then you're going to do something about it. Something I'm kicking around is to have people inside an organization, something like a, a safety first officer. They're basically trained. They don't come, they can be for any part of the business. They don't have to be agile. They're trained to say, people can come to you and say, I don't feel safe. What can I do? So I think this is an idea that I think takes courage, but it's certainly an option. It could be considered particularly in larger organisations. So the person has somewhere that is trusted. They can go to at work. They're not gossiping. They're not feeling like they're going to get their head kicked off, but they can go, I just need help making a decision. How am I going to get that help? I think that idea has got legs. I'd actually love to work with an organisation to create it because I think the, the organisation which does it will be really on something. Apart from that, train, train your leaders in the values that you want I'm, I'm you know very one over to a dare to lead type of training which looks at fear and vulnerability and says how do I manage whilst dealing all of those things I believe your leaders should actually go through that training the expectation is is that they will and that they will apply it so I believe you should be doing that and mentor them in that right? It's part of what you should be doing. That training is critical. That's how we really make change, is train the leaders to do what actually research tells us is 
the best way to go. And then finally, when you recruit your leaders, use all of these lenses that I've just given you. Psychological safety comes first. Here's the techniques that we want. If you do that, if you have the courage to do that, that's actually creating a good organisation. You'd be up to date with the latest research. Most of what we've learned, most of what our leaders have learned is an older fashioned style of leadership. It's fear-based, it's command and control, but you only learn, you, you, you learn what you see. If you haven't seen anything else, how do you know? Let's accept that we have new knowledge and let's just apply that new knowledge, right? And as a leader, have the courage to do that. So really, that's to me, that's what it's all about, is take the opportunity to make it different. None of these things is actually very hard. None of those things are particularly expensive. They're all very achievable and you will make a difference. And suddenly you've taken the handbrake off. You've allowed your staff to perform and to feel great. Ben, any final comment? My final comments would be just bearing a thought for the listeners that are out there thinking, uh, how do I improve this environment that I'm currently surviving in? And I know this is a, a critical element of the business that you have, Gillian, but I'm sitting here listening to all these strategies and those sort of things, Eric, and thinking that, it would be great to, throughout this series of podcasts, to be offering something to our listeners who are alone and frightened in an environment where where they can go. And Gillian, I'm not sure if it's my position here to say people should ring you. That may be not the, the type of business that you operate, but um, I, I'd be certainly open to accepting a phone call from anyone listening to this podcast who just needs to chat to someone. Ben, I'm the same. Absolutely. That is my business. I am committed to helping anybody in the chain. And if anyone needs a phone call, if they're struggling, reach out. Don't wait, just reach out. And that's that's a great piece of advice. And I know Eric will be, when published, uh, sharing with our listeners Gillian's contact details of not only what she can do there, but what else her business can assist organisations with. And if tonight's podcast anything to go by, I'll sure, surely be putting Gillian's business card high on my list. Thank you very much, Ben. But but all jokes aside, I've learned through very difficult experience that this is awful. If you are experiencing it, it is awful. Get help and help is here, but please ask for it. The lesser time you can spend living in this awful environment, the better for your life, the better for, for everyone in your life. It's okay that you live a safe life and we're here to help you. That's brilliant. Thank you, Gillian. Look, I'll, I'll put your contact details on each of the podcast descriptions for the, the, the two part of the, that this will end up being. So I appreciate that. As a thank you for your time here, and we've, we've done this with uh, lots of our podcasts and I want to make this a regular thing, particularly at the end of the podcast, Gillian, I'd to hand over to you maybe to give a bit of a summary of how you might be able to help and a bit of a plug for Your Way Consulting. Over to you. Thanks very much, Eric. I appreciate you doing it and giving me the opportunity. What I decided to do with my consultancy was to recognise the space and to say, where do, you fi- where do you provide help in that space? So I try to find or, and provide assistance in all parts of the cycle If you are being impacted by toxic behaviour, I can help you. I have a a free pro bono support group. I can have one-on-one consultations. I can do training. I can do all of those things for you. But the important thing is, is if you need help, get it. I'm going to be honest with you. I needed help and I didn't get it early enough. And so my commitment is to say, I'm here to assist and I've got a knowledge which can help you. And I'm not the only person who can do it right? There might be EAP providers, there can be many, 
but please ask for help if particularly if you're feeling isolated. I also coat abrasive leaders. I see the vulnerability in them. But if I can turn that abrasive leader into a genuine leader and a non-toxic one, that actually helps the whole environment. It's difficult, but I think it's a win-win. The other thing that I do is about leadership training. I am a huge fan of the newer styles of leadership. And the Brene Brown one, which I've mentioned already, is a classic example. I encourage people to look at the work of Dr. Pippa Grange in Fearless. She spent 20 years working in Australia. There are some excellent practitioners who look at psychological safety in creating those environments. And I'm a big believer in bringing leadership training to organisations as well. The other thing I do is try to help organisations structure themselves so that they have a great environment for people to work in. So I help in all parts of those things and I'm more than happy to be contacted about any part of it. Thank you very much. For those listening, we've been speaking to Gillian Manson. Gillian, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, guys. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Ben, thanks for your time, mate. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Gillian. It's been a great chat. As always, for those listening, more content on the way, particularly on this topic area. Thanks again. If you've got any feedback, please leave that in the LinkedIn comments for us or send it to the email addresses that will be provided with the podcast. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll catch you all on the next podcast.